This is writer and game designer Robin D. Laws. And this is game designer and writer Kenneth Height. And this is our podcast, Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Bandwidth brought to you by Pelgrane Press. Stuff we're here to talk about in this episode include... In this episode? You mean episode 250? I sure do. Then that can mean only one thing! Lightning Round! It has come to pass. The new third edition of Unknown Armies is in stores now. Unknown Armies is a modern-day occult role-playing game about broken people who conspire to fix the world. The new edition has a completely new character creation system. Now, more than ever, each character's attributes revolve around their wounded and worsening psychological state. The third edition also has a whole new way for GMs to focus play on the group's communal goal to change the world. And the myriad ways things are likely to go horribly, horribly wrong. Unknown Army's third edition has three core books. Play for players, run for GMs, and reveal the Book of the Weird for everyone. Buy them individually, or in a deluxe set whose slipcase has a magnetic clasp and unfolds to become a GM screen. Read more at atlas-games.com slash unknownarmies. Or leave immediately for your local game store. Because Unknown Armies is there, right now. So, hey, everybody, guess what episode it is? Why, it's episode 250, and uh, Ken, do you know what that means? I do, I do, I do, I do. It means that we've been doing this for five years. Five uh, years yeah. of selfless love to all the people out there just getting it done, brick by brick, building it up. Oh, I, we're, we're so great. Well, you know who's even greater is the uh, people who finance uh, this podcast oh, yes. because obviously we would have given it up by now, right? Uh, without the kind and loyal uh, assistance of our Patreon backers, it should actually be called Canon Robin's Patreon backers. Back Canon Robin talking about stuff. Yeah, that's because the full, an even more prolix title would that's be the better. Full title of this podcast, and you can change that officially if you want. So, uh, if you've been, but we have us, shirts, so we're not going to actually change it. Yes. Please pat yourselves on the back for uh, helping us out, and please continue to do so, because uh, we do need to make sure that the time we spend on the podcast is uh, rewarded enough that we don't have to stop it in order to do other uh, things that uh, keep the lights on. So uh, thank you uh, so much for that. So rather than the usual specific uh, patron shout-outs that uh, you get at the uh, $5 uh, level and above, uh, this month I thought that we would just uh, thank everybody uh, from the from the very bottom of our podcasting hearts. And speaking of gratitude, uh, Ken, there's uh, someone else uh, for which, or uh, another uh, corpus of people for whom we must express gratitude. Indeed we do. And those would be the judges of the Any Awards who have once more seen fit in their wisdom, their timeless, beautiful, elegant wisdom, to nominate Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff for a any award for best podcast and possibly by now you can even vote in that very any award by going to the any's awards any awards site 
Uh, I think that that's supposed to be happening by then, right, Robin? Or by now? Uh, is it 10 days out from our record? I think it's a week after the uh, nominations were announced. Well, yes, indeed. Then, then hi thee to the voting site. To anyawards.com with a hyphen in the middle of any awards. And also there will be a link in the show notes. So therefore, uh, uh, if you would like to see us recognized for best podcast, vote for us. And there's a, a many f- uh, other fine products, including a number of them from our uh, pals at Pelgrain Press. And from our own hands. From our own hands. Bubble Gumshoe, he said. Yes. Diffidently. By our can means his. Yeah. I, I meant mine and Emily's and Lisa's. Yes. Yeah, that's what I meant. And Well, I guess sort of at a remove. Uh, I guess there's some gumshoe yeah, rules it's, in it's, there. It so. It says gumshoe right on the front of it, Robin. Yes, I don't, guess I'm in there. Don't be Canadian about this. Just I muscle won't. right in. <laughs> well... Uh, I, I might not do a hiding uh, stage starming, but I am very proud to have a bunch of gumshoe products. Time Watch and Bubble Gumshoe. Absolutely, yes. On that list. That's yeah. uh, very uh, groovy. But, gratitude aside, can I see darkening clouds? Storm clouds, Robin? Storm clouds. Now, these are not uh, normally in the summertime when we see uh, darkening clouds. Uh, even a cloud over Europe, that that's always bad. But here, a cloud over an anniversary podcast, you know what that suggests? It suggests lightning, lightning round! So we solicited uh, lightning round questions from our uh, Patreon backers. As usual, I weeded out questions that asked us just to list things or to name favorites. Well, maybe a few of those snuck in. Uh, but let's see how many lightning round questions we can get to. And so, uh, Ken, start, start the, the lightning. Lightning, lightning round. round! Drew Clowery asks, What gaming-oriented tool, utility, app, device, or supplement do you wish someone else had created so you could use it? Robin? So, uh, Drew is re-asking a question in case the answers have changed. And in my case, the Uber answer has not changed, which is uh, I'm uh, still looking for someone to create the uh, mobile app that does all of the resolution uh, rolling and stuff of a role-playing game uh, under the hood for you, uh, because uh, having worked on a project that unfortunately didn't secure funding, the design implications of that are enormous, because you then no longer have to worry about handling cost or complexity of the uh, formulas you're using to uh, get at resolution. And there's all sorts of cool things you could do uh, if somebody made that thing. I have another answer uh, for this moment in time. Uh, but Ken, what's your answer? My answer is that I would like there to be a, and this may be the same thing I said last time, or I may not have. Um, I would like to see the uh, sort of uh, nascent uh, possibilities. Of, I guess it was Neverwinter Nights where you had these sort of modular bits and anyone could build a dungeon and then anybody else could play through them. I would like to see that become a thing so that people on uh, the, uh, the the Rolls 20 and whatever else can very rapidly build a dungeon or even any kind of narrative encounter using that kind of technology. And you would be able to expand the comfort level with people being GMs. And that is, I think, the uh, the, the big choke hole, choke hole, the big... Um, uh, <laughs> The, the it, big, it's a hole you fall in and then you choke. And then you choke it, 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 because it's full of tiny objects. That, that's the big choke point in developing more and more role players is it people find it hard to be a GM. So a tool that lets them very rapidly build an encounter, build a, um, a dungeon, build anything like that. That would, that would super help and it would be nice. Again, you could, if you could either do it for online play or as you suggest in, in your phone and then you just 
beep, 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 look at your phone. It's like, okay, now here we are at level 15, and I don't have to sit there and point balance a bunch of orcs. As I record this, in this exact second in time, I'm wrangling with this issue in Yellow King role-playing game, uh, now kickstarting. Uh, that involves giving out uh, cards to the players, and I'm using existing tools in order to uh, create a system that allows you to easily and quickly and funly, uh, which is now an adverb because I just made it one, uh, serve cards to uh, players using uh, mobile devices. And uh, I think that's working uh, pretty well, and I'll, I think that'll go a long way uh, toward uh, dealing with uh, the uh, handling issues of that game. But even cooler would be a native app that did that specifically so that you didn't have to go to a different app to create a card on the fly and so forth. And maybe, maybe just such a thing, uh, the wheels are perhaps not turning exactly, but perhaps they're on the, on the horizon as well. And uh, lightning, lightning round! Anderson Todd asks, have either of you read the delightfully bonkers philosophical secret history of the Jew of Linz by Kimberly Cornish? I have not! Neither have I! Lightning, Lightning round! Oli Toivanen asks, Over and underutilized geographic settings. Paris versus Helsinki. I sense a bit of uh, national pride there in the fact that <laughs> Helsinki is a terrific town, but it has many, many fewer musketeers, Nazi occupations, or other exciting Paris-type things. No catacombs that I know of, although it has a lot of underground pedways, so maybe if you started burying people there, Finns, we'd start paying attention. Do you think Oli wants us to utilize Helsinki or just say, yes, it's a darn shame because Helsinki is charming? I, I think the subtext is, why, why aren't there more games set in Helsinki? And the uh, question you're getting at there is uh, the value to a designer of uh, accessibility uh, versus uh, novelty. And I think that in reality, you hear a lot more people complain about things being overexposed than are actually out there who, who demonstrate that that's a problem by buying things. That it's um, much easier to disinterest people by going with something obscure that is novel that people don't have hooks into. And also, as you suggest, the reason that highly used settings are highly used is because they have lots of stuff in them. Right. Lightning round! Jacob Ansari asks, if Time Incorporated sent Ken back in time to save the Byzantine Empire, what point in history would he choose? Well, the Byzantine Empire for uh, much longer than uh, Western Europe, didn't need saving. It nope. continued along. It, it was self-saving. Yeah. What are you going to save it from and when? I'm going to save it from the Turks, the Seljuk Turks, the Battle of Manzikert in 1071. And I suspect that the way to do that is to intervene in the prior civil war that gets everyone so mad at each other that they refuse to go fight the, the Seljuk Turks. So if I untangle that, and still somehow have Leo Ducas in charge of an army, send Leo Ducas out there, maybe not as emperor, to um, uh, stomp the Seljuk Turks and uh, provide the Byzantines the demographic throw weight that they need to continue down into the present and be just as powerful and respected as Greece is today. Lightning round! round! Andy M. Young asks, Dice, cards, coins, spinners, phone apps, all have been done. What's the next big randomizer in gaming? Robin? The next big randomizer in gaming will be an object that cannot exist in our real physical world, but can exist in the world of VR. Uh, that is a skin probably for like a randomization algorithm. 
The next big randomizer in gaming is going to be a sort of a, an oracular randomizer in which you dive into the nest of social media. You pull up random Instagrams or random Twitters or random whatevers, and you use those tarot style or E Jing style to build the story and understand everyone's going to be playing every way, and they're going to be playing it on their Facebook. Uh, Rob McDougall asks, why can't Robin have a time machine? There ought to be a single-payer Canadian Ministry of Modest Time Adjustment to go along with a private enterprise shenanigans of Time Incorporated. I believe this is a question for me, Ken. Is and it? the answer is, <laughs> as a longtime listener to the show, you remember how Canadians make things happen, which is they kind of suggest that, you know, a need for something might arise, and then someone else does it, you know? So you say, hmm, that White House is looking very unburnt, and then... British uh, pirates and mercenaries show up and burn the White House. Or, hmm, Ken is annoyingly unphoned while at Gen Con. Wouldn't it be great if we got him a burner? And then uh, Rob Hainso goes and gets Ken a burner phone, and we all chip in for it, and Robin doesn't have to do it. So by creating this podcast specifically to have the Ken's Time Machine segment, I am the one, really, who is sending Ken back into time because I, people... And I'm only going to admit this in this one episode. Right. And Time Incorporated. Dun, dun, dun. Lightning round. Ross Ireland asks, as a young boy, I learned all kinds of great things about UFOs and Bigfoot and the like. As I got older, I was heartbroken that the face on Mars was just shadows and there are no plesiosaurs in Loch Ness. A little advance of the evidence there, Ross. What inconvenient reality disappointed you most, Robin? Uh, well, the thing about most uh, of these weird things is they're uh, kind of nasty and scary. So what is the cutest elliptonic thing that could exist? Mokeli and Bembwe. That's who you want. You want the baby uh, sauropod in the Congo. Right. You do. The thing I think that most disappoints me is uh, either plugging in actual numbers to the Drake equation and saying, oh, there's no Fermi paradox. There's just no stupid aliens, which is sad because we all want to meet Mr. Spock. Or, uh, sort of on the flip side of that, the inconvenient reality that Jack the Ripper was probably just some guy holding a knife when they left the door unlocked in Eddie Campbell's great line. And there's no meaning to it that all of the effort that people put into that signature crime, that sort of very emblematic, uh, secret history moment at the beginning of the modern era means nothing because none of it means nothing. Very disappointment. Don't pay attention to it. Posit that it was Freemasons working from the Cydonia pyramids on Mars. Lightning round! Uh, Brian, Brian of the many questions asks, you're playing the escape game, stuck in a room with a zombie when you accidentally activate the Everett Bridge mentioned in Ken's time-traveling plant people article. You only have the amount of the time that escape game allows, let's assume less than approximately five minutes, to get out of the zombie dimension. How would you, Robin D. Laws, get out with either you or the great Kenneth Height getting bitten? The answer is, realistically, we would get bitten. Yeah, we'd get bitten. We're, we're more zombie counter-theorists. I'm a writer and game designer, not a, not a zombie fighter. No. Or, possibly, uh, as a Canadian, I would evince the uh, desire that possibly someone should come and deal with this before his friends Ken and Robin get killed, and that would cause a time portal to open in which uh, Adam Scott Glancy, uh, with... Delta Green-style weaponry, uh, which, of course, he owns, would come through the door, uh, blast away all the zombies, and then uh, the three of us would all uh, uh, go for a drink. Yeah, exactly. Or several drinks, really, I think, at that point. And uh, Time Incorporated would buy.
I've been covertly mentioning it like crazy these past few months. But now it's time for you to overtly announce... That the Yellow King role-playing game from Palgrain Press is now on Kickstarter. Based on the influential horror tales of Robert W. Chambers. This latest gumshoe flagship title sends your players on a mind-bending journey through twisted histories and alternate selves. From Paris in 1895 to Europe's shattering 1947 Continental War. To the ruins of the Castaigne regime to a world like our own. Or nearly so. When I played a section of the Paris sequence, I was the architecture student. Help us add even more content to all four of the core books, which nestle together as a single product in one elegant, not to mention magnetic, slipcase. We got chased by a spider statue. Also snap up our gorgeous found object collage Paris source book, Absinthe in Carcosa. My character drank copiously and engaged in the witticisms of the doomed. And a novel by yours truly. Stretch a goal or two before the King in Yellow comes for you. Go to Kickstarter and search Yellow King Roleplaying Game. Or dare to look at the sinister link in the show notes. Lightning Round! Laurel Halbany asks, What, in your opinion, is the most tragically underutilized game setting? I'm going to stick by good old Georgian England. It doesn't get used very much at all. It's full of excitement, people stabbing each other. It's alive with possibility, but by and large, um, you look at anything and it still seems kind of underused. I don't think there's enough games uh, that use Chicago, for example, and plenty of games use Chicago. Robin? I didn't know the answer to this question until earlier. Helsinki! Helsinki! Lightning Lightning Round! Corey Pierno asks, What is the next widespread cultural fear just waiting to be made into a movie monster? Tulpas. Yes. And the reason for that is that we are uh, living in the esoteric world. (laughs) The membrane is tearing. Ever, ever more. (laughs) Our our fear is of the center not holding, of everybody deciding that uh, they're going to comport themselves like the uh, comment section on YouTube. And turn that into a, a, a real life thing, and uh, the uh, sense that uh, uh, norms are uh, eroding and uh, memes are coming to life. Uh, I agree with Topas. Yeah, Topas. Lightning round. round. Andrea Coletta asks, "What do you think of the new Twin Peaks: The Return series? Do you also feel an elliptonic vibe into it? Do you think Gumshoe would be adequate to run a Twin Peaks campaign?" Robin. Well, uh, this question uh, was asked when we. Solicited questions, and it's even clearer now. Yes, of course, Twin Peaks is way more elliptonic now than it was before. And before it had a demon in it. Even it was then, and it was pretty damn elliptonic. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But this is, Lynch has gone full genre now. Um, I am loving it. Uh, The uh, recent uh, crazy freakout episode that is basically almost the whole episode is Lynch's tribute to the uh, Kubrick uh, psychotropic experience in 2001. I think it's great. I love the uh, the time longures, the weird acting. Uh, I have no idea where it is going, uh, which is something that which I is refreshing. Say about nearly <laughs> any TV show that I watch a few episodes of, and I think that uh, there's definitely an investigative element to it. So uh, yeah, sure, you could use Gumshoe to do an existential mystery, which we have talked about uh, in previous episodes, and I have an article about how to do that on uh, the Pelgrane Press uh, site as a past page XX column. And I would also add that uh, the OG Twin Peaks would make a dandy uh, drama system setting as well. So try that. 
the, the original one is, is much more of a soap opera with a, we- a weird investigation netting it together. And this is a weird investigation that occasionally reminds you that it shares the same name of the, a soap the, opera. That there was a soap like. opera once. Yeah. Lightning, Lightning Round! Andrew Pisak asks, Who is the game designer slash writer slash creator that you would most like to collaborate on a project with? Assuming you have not already worked with this person. Ken? I would like to uh, collaborate on a project sometime with Jonathan Tweet, because I think Jonathan Tweet is an amazing designer, a uh, heck of a good fellow, has, I think, a lot of similar but not identical aesthetic interests to me, which is always what makes it super fun. And I think it everyone should uh, play one-on-one with Michael Jordan. We almost collaborated on the uh, D20 Call of Cthulhu, but... I got to leave Wizards, and he had to stay, so that didn't happen. So it'd be lovely to come back with Jonathan and sort of see what our joint sensibilities could make happen. Robin? The thing is, the more exalted the person, the less they need you to collaborate with them. Exactly. um, I would love to collaborate with Sandy Peterson, but he doesn't need me for anything. Uh, he 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 covers it by being Sandy Peterson. Right. Uh, So I think uh, I would like to collaborate with the next uh, new up-and-coming person with a completely different perspective who's going to come out of left field and uh, uh, show us all a, a, a different culture or a different way of uh, seeing things. Or uh, So the next person we haven't heard of yet. Right. So the, uh, so the next uh, Emily Care boss. Exactly. So uh, if, if you are the next Emily Care boss, uh, stop by the Pelgrim booth. Let me know. Right. Yeah. Uh, that would be awesome. Lightning, Lightning round! round. Andrew Miller asks, escape rooms and fidget spinners are are ubiquitous now. What is the esoteric truth behind their rise? Robin. So the fidget spinners are there. They were set up in the first act as this thing that nobody understands why they're there. But they're the trans-dimensional, uh, not portal, but uh, portal uh, effectuator. They're the, the keys. you need in place right. in order to be able to create a portal for Adam Scott Glancy to come through the portal and save you from the zombies. Exactly. And that is why they have the triune uh, uh, Triskelion symbol, which of course goes back to the Isle of Man and the ancient, even pre-Celtic cultures that, that live there. Uh, it's it's all uh, very, uh, very obvious to those who have eyes to see. And uh, they got three arms because uh, one of them is Adam uh, Scott Glancy, one of them is Robin, and one of them is me. So there you go. That's why. Lightning round! James Griffin asks, can you coin a pithy term to describe your Batmans and Hercules and other mythic figures with multiple different presentations that are all the same core meme? Is hero too pithy? Yeah, iconic hero. Yeah, I mean, I I guess James is asking one that that mentions that there will be a bunch of different versions of them, but I think... That's just knowing how culture works. Do we need a term for that? Well, I, I guess you could say that, you know, that if there's a single author iconic hero. Sherlock Holmes. Well, many people later wrote Sherlock Holmes, right? Yeah. But a, a character that. Horatio Hornblower? Well, even then, there's been movies and stuff later, but yeah. something that nobody else has adapted left. Then it's yet. not very iconic, is it? Yes. Well, <laughs> it's, it's iconic in its structure. But, it, but, but, it, it, but no it, one pays it, attention to it. Yeah, but. Well, sure they do. There are lots of series characters. You know, n- name a detective who hasn't been adapted into another medium yet. Into, into a movie or, or yeah. whatever? Yeah, so okay. you're just, you're just a pre-continuity. You. You're a pre-adaptation right. iconic hero. You are a nascent, uh, you are, you are a, a nascent, um, uh, one of these, whatever this is. Right. Um, because uh, it's so hard of us for us to even think of an example of a, one of these characters who's never, ever had any other take on them, but the one from the original author. That right. suggests that iconic hero is the default, and then in order to 
uh, say that no one else has ever adapted this, you would say pre-adaptation Ikonikuro. We right. already have a pithy term. It's in Hamlet's hit points. There we go. Lightning, Lightning round. round! Dan Nolan asks, please recommend some well-written modules for a GM who grew up without the free cash to buy fancy modules, developed an unhealthy attitude about the moral superiority of designing your own sessions, and has now repented his ways and feels he may have missed out on some great work. Where should such a GM start? The newer stuff? The classics? Robin? I have no idea because I uh, <laughs> you maintain write scenarios an unhealthy attitude. <laughs> or run on the fly. <laughs> right. um, so instead of telling you what to find, I'm going to say the way to discover the answer to this question is to find the community for the game that you want to run and ask them what is the classic adventure for this game. And uh, a forum uh, full of people will have a big argument. And at the end, a uh, if not a consensus, a leading contender will emerge. And also, you're, you should not be able to hold your head up if you've never run Massive Neurothotep. Lightning, Lightning Round! round! Uh, Jake says, you have one minute to pitch an important movie bigwig and IP from one of your games. Go! All right. In order to protect a young Elvis Presley from snake cultists working with the KKK in a fallen United States full of, uh, of monsters and poison, Captain America and Sam Spade have to team up to fight Otto Scorzani. Uh, martial artists and gunmen and all the coolest historical heroes all have a reason to fight each other. Lightning, Lightning round. round! Paul Stefko asks, who was the most influential role-playing game designer of each decade from 1980 to 2010? So we are asking about three designers, or three decades. Robin, in the 80s, who was the most... In it's Sandy Peterson, right? Call of Cthulhu. Or is it Greg Stafford? My my answer to this question is I am ducking this question. You're ducking this question. Okay. All right. The 1980s is Greg Stafford. The 1990s is Mark Reinhagen. And the 2000s is Ron Edwards. You're welcome, Paul Stefko. And and my answer is uh, uh, whatever decade you fit into, my designer friend, I'm thinking of you. Right. It was you all along. Yes. <laughs> Lightning round. round. Alexandria Perman uh, has a question for each of us. Uh, why don't you read the question for... Well, I'll read the question for you. What's the first thing a visitor sh to Chicago should see or do? First thing a sh visitor sh to Chicago should see is the glorious architecture of Chicago, which stands around you. It's like living in the Louvre if you're an architecture fan. So you almost can't help it. But uh, take the uh, architectural boat tour. I think that will sort of open up Chicago uh, like a blooming, um, uh, like blooming a spice uh, in oil over the over the heat. That it will it will it will have Chicago come alive and enter your senses. Robin, why do you keep coming back to Paris as a setting? Why do you make Oli cry? I don't keep coming back to Paris. Paris keeps coming back at me. An illustration of pareidolia here is that if you take a bunch of random questions in the order that you are posed them by your beloved Patreon backers. Themes will emerge, and as we've already described, Paris is full of stuff, and it just happened to be full of the Surrealists, uh, who years ago, when I saw a Surrealist exhibit and looked at the stuff, went, this should be a Trail of Cthulhu thing. Uh, and then uh, once I was uh, got into the world of the Yellow King, of course, well, yeah, Paris, got to do something in Paris. So uh, Paris is coming for me. It's where uh, the uh, interesting stuff is. Lightning round! Michael Grasso asks, better royal patron, Elizabeth I or Rudolph II? Elizabeth I, because she wasn't crazy. Uh, I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, she was dangerous enough. Yeah, she was a she was a problem if uh, if she didn't like you, but, you know, she wasn't crazy. 
Right. She wouldn't, she wouldn't take advice from mystic dwarves to have you shut up in a tower somewhere. That wouldn't happen. Well, in, in that dichotomy, she wins. She wins. Lightning, Lightning round. round! Trung asks, which role-playing game setting would you most want to be transported to? Your least want to be transported to, Robin? Well, uh, assuming that I'm not reduced to the size of a bunny, I would most like to be reduced to, uh, sent to the bunnies and burrows setting because then you're just, you know, hanging out by a sylvan glade watching bunnies run around. That, that's the best one. Yeah, and, that is uh, pretty good. Least is pretty well any other of them. Yeah, all of them. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any place where there's conflict and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think most is probably Time Watch, right? I get to have a time machine for reals. I mean, a better one. That's what I mean to say. Right. And, and I guess that the guy in reach, if you could stay out of trouble... Yeah, you know, if you just had enough credits and just stayed at a really fancy hotel. Well, I mean, if you're if you're if you're if you're asking about going to the setting but never going on an adventure, <laughs> then Star Trek. <laughs> you just live <laughs> right. in a world and replicators bring you everything, and you just sort of roll around in your fancy uniform and kiss aliens. Who wouldn't want to live there? But Star Trek adventures are very dangerous, and so well, you wouldn't want to do that. Just says transported to. It doesn't yeah. say survive. All right then, Star Trek, and and not even good Star Trek, boring Star Trek. Where you're nothing but lounge chairs and endless discussion. One of the next generation ones. Well, even then, there's the, even back on the, like the home world. Whenever you see Earth, it's always being attacked. Yeah. Well, you you live on a different one. You live on one of the Rigel colonies. They're nice. I'm, I'm sticking with the bunnies. All right. Lightning, Lightning round. Hector Trelane asks: Can't MacGuffins be more than just MacGuffins? The term seems reductionist and unfun. The Maltese Falcon may be just a MacGuffin of no consequence, but how about the Ark of the Covenant? Awe and wonder on the big screen. The stash of gold from Clint Eastwood's Kelly's Heroes. Gold, baby. Look at all these gold. These misfits got their mitts on. What's your take? Uh, my take is that if you're looking for the fun in the object, you are exactly doing the thing that Hitchcock was trying to warn you against. The fun and the drama come from the character action. That's why we call it a MacGuffin, and that's why Hitchcock doesn't care, because if he gets all excited about what's in the plans of Northwest by, North by Northwest, then he stops making Jimmy Stewart's character relatable and exciting. And that is the great flaw of dramatic presentation. That said, Ark of the Covenant, obviously neater than the Maltese Falcon. Right. And Hitchcock coined that term as a flip term to talk with his screenwriters. It was not intended to get out into the wider audience. But we in the world of role-playing need terms to describe how a narrative works. So any term that describes a narrative trope or, or whatever is in and of itself uh, reductionist because you are attempting to reduce it to its core essence. And it's precisely the process of building onto it that takes the plot device and turns it into the Ark of the Covenant. Now, in a role-playing session, if your players are saying, oh, this is clearly the MacGuffin, they are being reductionist, and you want to But don't uh, be blaming Hitch for them. that. Yes. Uh, you need to discourage them from uh, having a, a running commentary that undermines their own engagement uh, in the action. But the term MacGuffin does exactly what it is, uh, sets out to do. Ken, 
What historical parameters pertain when you add pirates to your game? Well, you have to begin with a systematic uh, destruction of state power. That in sounds a- fabulous. Where can I learn more? In Volume 2 of The Best of Phoenix, available in PDF at DriveThruRPG. That must mean that all three volumes of The Best of Phoenix are available separately or in a value-conscious omnibus edition. When you're typing it into the search engine, you're typing F-E-N-I-X. And what you get when you type that is the best of Sweden's much-vaunted magazine devoted to role-playing and gamer-friendly reviews. Including a metric oodle of articles by yours truly. They use the metric oodle in Sweden, right? Indeed they do, Ken. And in Sweden, by law, a metric oodle must contain such features as... Fallen Gods. Runepunk Steam Quests. Lamb Chop Love Songs. And the comic strip adventures of lazy beer-loving Bernard the Barbarian. All brought to you by the expert editorial hands of Tova and Anders Gilbring. Not by law. Logically related, but related by their love of role-playing. That's the Best of Phoenix Volumes 1 to 3. The first of many gaming wonders to come from Askfagaln. Ask for Askfagaln by name. And don't forget, that's F-E-N-I-X. And remember, that's in English, not in Swedish. In English, not Swedish. Lightning round! Donnie Van Zant asks, If both of you had to play in a months-long campaign, what would be your perfect world genre, system, GM, soundtrack, and table snack, Robin? So, genre would be contemporary weirdness. Uh, system would be gumshoe. The GM would be Ken. Ah. The uh, soundtrack would be 70s funk. Hmm. Uh, and the table snack. What are you? What are you serving, Ken? Man, I want to. I want to run that game. Oh, well, if you're if you're in my game, the perfect table snack is when Isaac brings the cheese platter. There we the, go, cheese platter. I'm sold. All right. Uh, in my uh, months long campaign, my perfect world genre would be uh, horror. The system would be Call of Cthulhu, the greatest game ever uh, written. The GM. It would be tempting to make it be Robin just to make him mad, but I don't want to make Robin mad because he's my good friend. Um, so it <laughs> well, would, why would that make me mad? <laughs> because you would be wanting to gumshoe it all the time. Um, my, the run the GM would be an excellent GM, Dennis Detwiller. The soundtrack would be weird ambient screw with you music. And the table snack would be, uh, delicious meat cubes, which we used to use as a table snack, uh, for wargaming night. And you basically, you get, uh, a decent cut of steak. Uh, that is not too expensive. You cut it up, uh, grill it real fast. Everything's rare and juicy on the inside. You get maximum Maillard and you eat them and they are delicious. They make a mess at the table though. So that's why you got to play for months. Lightning round! Uh, Kevin J. Maroney asks, do either of you actually get to be players or are you permanently on the GM side of the screen? I have been the GM for life since 1979 and I see no prospect of that changing. Every now and again, one of my friends runs a campaign that I have time to play in and it's always a delight because my friends are delightful and they also are good GMs. They're no Dennis Detwiller, but they get by. If you're a role-playing game designer, you are the GM. Lightning round! Judd Goswick asks... Who should be the next James Bond, Robin? Tom Hardy or Michael Fassbender? Uh, the answer is Tom Hardy, because Michael Fassbender cannot be on screen without me wanting to see him get beaten up by Gina Carano, and that's no way for James Bond to be. <laughs> well, that, that that may be, like, just a particular, just you. No, it's, it's typecasting. Lightning, Lightning round. round! Doc Cross asks, who should direct the next Bond movie to get them back on track? David Fincher. I think he'd do a great uh, Bond movie. Uh, he's disqualified in that he is American. Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Oh, that's an excellent choice, too. All right. Fair enough. Lightning, Lightning round. round. 
Graham Wills asks, which Greek god would you elect as president of the USA and or Canada? And I expect I'm supposed to answer for the USA. And Robin, you're supposed to say, uh, who would you elect as president of Canada? Which is a question that unlocks <laughs> a, a myriad of other questions. Yeah. First of all, the Greek gods are terrible people. Uh, that used to be a disqualifier. Um, I guess Hermes, because he's super clever, right? You want a super clever president? He's got a thousand uh, faces. You'll never know what he's promised you. Um, he's the god of liars, tricksters, and thieves, which at least means he has less to uh, learn to speed himself up. Why not? Hermes 2020, a thousand faces for the future. Robin? Well, Hera is just uh, sort of angry and spiteful <laughs> yeah, because, not, of, sort because of, of Zeus. Extraordinarily. <laughs> Yeah. And so she's just totally justified. Yeah. So if we, if we, uh, you know, if we let her run Canada, uh, she will have something to do other than take vengeance on Zeus. And I think, uh, she will prove to have, uh, you know, this sort of reasonable peace, order, and good government exactly. uh, vibe. Very much the, if you, if you two don't settle down, I'll come back there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you want me to stop, you know, regional conflicts between the provinces she was like don't make me stop this country that's no. right yeah uh so yeah i, I think uh, uh get uh, zeus out of her hair and hera is the one to run canada. yeah zeus as as first gentleman of canada is going to have its own problems but again hera can handle it lightning, lightning round. round uh once again drew clowry so you can maybe guess uh with the level of his patron and how much we love uh, him asks, <laughs> with cardiff nearing its fifth anniversary what a surprise oh, i just picked this Second question, because it's flattering. With Cardiff nearing its <laughs> fifth anniversary, what has surprised you most about doing the podcast? What would you do differently if you could do it all again? What has been the biggest benefit of the podcast for you and the biggest drawback? So, uh, Ken, what is your podcast surprise? Um, I think the podcast surprise is that we're we're not out of stuff. I really expected, you know, at some point that the Elliptony Hut would be, you know, some sort of one-off haunting in Anacostia, Maryland or something. And that we'd, you know, I'd be going back in time to alter, you know, secretary of state selections in the John Quincy Adams cabinet or something. But no, we keep having like super A-list things come up. So that's sort of surprising. There's still stuff on the list that, that were like written on the list, like an episode one. Yeah. We haven't. Now, of course we've been adding things all along. Right. But there's, because of our backers. Right. The podcast uh, had exactly the effect that I thought it would. I was unsurprised. Uh, I guess the surprise was that I talked Simon into funding it. First. <laughs> uh, what would I do differently? Uh, I, I, I don't believe in regrets. Yeah, I don't have no. any big creative regrets. Or maybe not every segment is gold. No, but, uh, but, but that's why they're good is because we're in the moment. I would say maybe pay, uh, go on Patreon earlier, right? Yes. I think we, we let that life fallow for a little longer than we needed to. But that's not really a big regret. That's just sort of a, oh, look at that. We, we could have um, uh, done that. What has been the biggest benefit of the podcast for you, Robin? I think it's uh, introduced us to our, our, our beloved backers, and so uh, and also uh, kept us in in the hearts of our backers as well. Hopefully, so that uh, when one of us has a cool thing that we want to do, like a Kickstarter, and we send you a Minnesota, you know all about it, and then you you know what to go and do. Right, because you're wonderful people. Um, for me, I'll be selfish. The biggest benefit of the podcast for me is I get an excuse to talk to Robin every week. That's pretty uh, great. That um, there we go. That is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that that's a reason to do it. And I, you know, obviously we all love Robin. Everyone would love to talk to Robin all the time. <laughs> I get to do it once a week. That's a pretty big benefit. Robin, what's the biggest drawback? And if you say talk to me, I won't cry, <laughs> but I will be hurt. It, I, I I don't think there's a there's a drawback at all. It's, yeah. Uh, if, if we hadn't found the Patreon, the drawback would be that 
I was losing a lot of important right time that it takes valuable time. But now that's not a drawback. That's actually a now, thing. Thanks to our Patreon backers, everything is perfect. Lightning, Lightning round. Uh, Paula Damas asks, "What is the real reason why the English e- edition of Esquemeling's Buccaneers of America breaks off so suddenly?" And the answer is, he was killed while writing it, possibly by the ghost of Henri Lalanois the evil French pirate that he so badly blackguards in that very book. Lightning Round! Mark Galliotti asked, to which historical figure suitably revived? Oh, wow. Would each of you each swear allegiance, body, and soul? Ken? Well, uh, I have a cheat because it's the same ones I already do. Jesus Christ and or George Washington. Robin? This is a a disturbing question, uh, Mark. (laughs) As you know, Mark is a student of, of history and particularly of Russian history. Historical figures are terrible. Well, if they if they got into history, don't swear to the Russian ones, Robin. Go go my route. Really bad reason. Swear to George Washington. He's great. Well, I'm gonna you know obviously I have to answer this question, Uh, and uh, I'm much less of an allegiance swearer than you are, Ken. Right. So uh, I'm gonna say uh, the uh, painter, the surrealist painter Rene Magritte, (laughs) because he'd probably lose the 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 swearing somewhere in his files and never bother you. Well, uh, we would go and hang out in Belgium. Have a quiet bourgeois life and drink Belgian beer. I'm right, sure yeah. he would. He would never call on me you to go because... and drink some more Belgian beer. Robert. Right? No, that he's in so Belgium. That, you should what be helping Rene Magritte move. That's not the same thing at all. <laughs> Lightning round. Tenant Reed asks, "What single object would most disrupt history if you sent it back to the year 1000 CE? That is to say, 1000 AD for our older listeners. Where would you send it?" For maximum effect, Robin. So, I guess, what's what's a big disease that isn't in uh, 1000 CE? Well, I mean, there's AIDS, obviously. Um, uh, or any of the hemorrhagic fevers, I think they think those are pretty new, like Ebola and yeah. the Marburg. Yeah, if, if, if the object is to disrupt history. Yeah. Uh, which is not a, a moral question. Not at all. Uh, but rather, a you know, you measure this by the size of its description. Uh, a, another horrible deadly plague. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for, to, for disrupting 1000 CE, then the choices are either you send it to Nanjing, which I believe is at that time the capital of China or is close enough to it, or you send it to Paris. Good old Paris. Let's, let's let Paris take, take it on the chin. And that way you, uh, wipe out Western Europe. So depending on whether you're trying to di- disrupt history for the most people or for the most historians, uh, either China or Paris. Lightning round! Eric McMullen asks, as a newbie to Asian action cinema, how can I tell if a new release is good or not? Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and answer this. Yeah, uh, do you it. go? Uh, well, first of all, you follow Ken and Robin Consume Media. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but secondly, you go to the Internet Movie Database and add a whole point to the rating because raters of uh, Asian action movies uh, tend to downgrade them on average, about a, a point compared to Hollywood movies. So uh, tack on a one, and that's probably a pretty good rating. Lightning, Lightning round. round! Adam Grotejohn asks, of all the occult book publishers, we are answering each other's, our own questions suddenly. We've, we're out of a rhythm. Of all the occult book publishers, which produces the most gameable material? Robin, do you have an opinion on that? I do not, Ken. I just go by the size of the margins, <laughs> as Ken Haidt taught me to do. Exactly. Uh, the most gameable material is obviously not the same as the most reliable material, but I would have a hard time objecting to my good friend's Adventurers Unlimited Press. As you can tell by the name, it is not overly concerned with historical accuracy and is very much concerned with wildness, and wildness is what you're looking for. Lightning, Lightning round. round! 
Nikolai asks, why does everybody seem to think Robert Heinlein's novel Starship Troopers is a masterpiece? Uh, because they haven't read a real masterpiece, is my guess, although it's a pretty good novel. Certainly in the uh, line of Robert Heinlein's juveniles, it is probably the most uh, complex of them. But uh, and it works, you know, it's a it's a dandy page turner. But, you know, masterpiece, you can't be throwing that word around, Robin, can you? Uh, I certainly wouldn't. Right. Uh, I think people uh, uh, just want to be in big armored suits uh, uh, fighting aliens. And uh, yeah, obviously, yes. Lightning round! Andy M. Young asks, what's the real reason they're exhuming Dolly? There's trouble in the Dreamlands again, obviously. Uh, he's alive again in the Dreamlands, and he is arranging this. Uh, through our dreaming influence. Uh, those of you who don't know this story, he's being accused of being uh, the... Uh, it's a paternity suit. <laughs> and uh, uh, Now, if you know your Dali, if the question is, did he impregnate a woman by watching her from a distance while thinking of a weird, creepy egg? Yes, possibly yes, that the answer happens. is. <laughs> but the typical way one uh, becomes involved in a posthumous paternity suit, highly doubtful. Um, but at any rate, yes, uh, Dali... Uh, uh, needs a bit of himself back. Uh, so uh, someone who is performing that uh, procedure is going to wind up with a little bit of Dali on them and then go to sleep, and it's going to go back into the dreamlands where uh, Dali and his mustache and Gala all remain to this day. Lightning round! Roger Edge asks, if you could take one game system or game mechanic and have it exist in real life, what would it be? A game system or game... Me- well, I would actually kind of like to just always get the clue because I'm super knowledgeable. I, I would love to be gumshoe in the, re- in the real world. <laughs> That'd be great. Sticking with the theme <laughs> of Robin D. Lai's design games, yeah. I think uh, we could all do with drama system existing in real life because it would clarify interactions where at the end... After you had the interaction with somebody, you then stopped and decided which of you got the drama token. <laughs> which of you got the token? Like, who was the petitioner here? <laughs> Did, was the petition granted? <laughs> I think that uh, that actually has value in real life. As, as a married man, you know who always gets the yeah. tokens, Robin. You don't need that system to exist in real life. Lightning, Lightning round! round. Uh, John W.S. Marvin asks, when will the Yellow King role-playing game open content? Go live. Well, thank you for asking and reminding us that the Yellow King role-playing game is still on Kickstarter. Uh, this was a stretch goal for uh, the game, and it's a stretch goal that's been met. So once the game is available to backers and in retail, uh, around about then, uh, we will uh, make the open content uh, officially available, because, of course, we don't want to get scooped uh, with our own uh, game mechanics. Uh, but if there's something that you have in mind that you would like to do that would coincide with the release of the Yellow King role-playing game uh, outside of the uh, uh, official open license, uh, drop us a line and we'll see what we can coordinate. Lightning Lightning round! Joe Literal asks, what public domain property are you surprised that no one has grabbed and run with as the basis for an RPG setting and why, Robin? I don't think there is such a thing, because otherwise someone would have grabbed it. Right. <laughs> we, we live in a world where uh, everything you can possibly think of has been turned into a, a role-playing game. Subgenres of subgenres of subgenres. So, I, I can't think of anything. Unless there's, like, somebody could do a Karnacki, the, the Ghost, ghost fi- Finder role-playing well, game. someone has. That, the lovely and talented um, uh, Mark uh, Rollins did one. Thesis proved. Thesis proved. Kent, do you have one? Um... Public domain, Jesus. Uh, 
Um, I remain uh, confused that no one has done an MR James role-playing game. Uh, I'm still a little confused that there's so few Lovecraft ones, but I'm super confused that there doesn't seem to be an MR James role-playing game, uh, unless you count the one that I just did for Phoenix Magazine, in which case, thesis proved! The skies are dim always since the maker died. Time to weave a tale, my friends. A tale of good-hearted puppets in a bad-hearted world. In John Scott Tyne's puppet land, you rise up against the savagery of Punch, the maker killer. You battle his army of nutcrackers and his terrible boys sewn from the flesh of the maker of all puppets. Seek the gorgeous new hardback edition at your nearest retailer of beautiful yet sinister role-playing games. Featuring full-color paintings from Samuel Araya. And tons of ready-to-play tales from... Kenneth Height. Aaron Dembo. And Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Are you ready to play? Because Punch and his boys are ready to play. Ready for you. Lightning round! Lee Williams asks, If Heaven for Fan Time Incorporated didn't employ Ken as an operative, what else would he get up to in order to fill that part of his busy life? More gaming, more writing, more reading, or what? Uh, well, Lee, as a Time Incorporated operative, one of the great things is that you don't use up any time because you come back to the time you left. So, there you go. Um, but if I did have spare time, or if I abused my time machine to give myself more spare time, which we're not supposed to do, uh, probably, uh, Watching things. I am desperately behind on the golden age of television. I'm desperately behind on movies. So I would probably lie on the couch more with uh, Virgil and watch things if I had that much more time machine given free time. Robin? Now, you have a groovy new television, right? I do. Has Have you noticed that Virgil is paying more attention to it? Uh, Virgil is not actually paying that much more attention to it. He He's very chill. Uh, I, I know that he can now see what's going on because it's a 4K, and so cats can now resolve that. But he he he, he remains blissfully apathetic. Lightning, Lightning round. Don Bisdorf asks, "What's the best time and place from historical real Earth to use for a Conan-style campaign of mighty thews, wicked sorcery, and corrupt civilization?" Uh, Robin, do you have a best time and place? Scythians and alike versus Rome. You play the Scythians. Uh, I would say the Hellenistic era, uh, where you've got the uh, very corrupt civilizations of the Diadochi, uh, also engaged in incestuous multiple betrayals. Uh, wicked sorcery is literally just being invented. The uh, Egypt Greco-Egyptian magical papyri are coming about, and mighty thews are all over the place because everyone and their brother is invading. So you've got the Gauls invading. You've got uh, leftover Sumerians, if you really want to play historical Conan. Uh, you've got Scythians. You've got Amazons. You've got the whole nine yards. Uh, Hellenistic era. Everyone loves the Hellenistic era, and not just because I'm running a 13th Age game set there. Lightning, Lightning round! round! Trung Boy has another question for us, and this is sort of a favorites question, but uh, as we uh, cl- as we wind closer to the end of the episode, I thought we could uh, uh, discourse a bit on the nature of this question as well as the answer. What is the most delicious thing you've ever eaten? All right, Robin, do you want to discourse, or do you want to have me answer and then discourse? I'll, I'll have you answer. I'm okay. curious to, to see to what extent... 
This will confirm my thesis. Okay. I have two answers for this. The straight up answer is the kitchen menu at Charlie Trotter's, which cost the same as my rent and was worth every penny. But I will tell you that in the moment, the most delicious thing I ate was a super triple burger at Brahms, which is a hamburger and ice cream place in Oklahoma City, because I had just come back from eight days in the Soviet Union. And if hunger is the best spice, eight days in the Soviet Union is the $50 an ounce saffron of hunger. So eating a American triple burger after that privational experience where I was literally drinking the orange juice mix with vodka because you couldn't add water because you'd get dysentery and uh, the and you hoped there was horse in the cabbage. That's what you hoped. Um, and this was in the tourist hotels. It was not a good, not a culinary experience. I, you know, lots of great things, but food wise, nothing better than that first American hamburger coming back from the Soviet Union. Uh, Robin, does that confirm your thesis confirmed Yay! because it is all about context that the, uh, seldom, uh, does the food item itself transcend the experience in which you eat it. So, uh, thinking back to all of the, amazingly great things that I've been lucky enough to, to eat over the years. Uh, the first things that came to mind were in the context of where I was and, and who I was with. Yeah. So the uh, risotto au jus uh, at uh, Gautier, the first mm, time you go there yeah. with your uh, rest of the Pelgrane crew, uh, still remains uh, transcendent. And uh, to continue on in the theme, the Barbecue at the Salt Lake, where guess what? Ken was there, too. Yeah, and your lovely wife, Valerie, was there. Yeah, and my lovely wife, Valerie. And so, again, it's about uh, the company, and you're enjoying uh, something all together that's amazing, and the, the, the group sharing of that. Uh, and the question is, if I lived in Austin, would the Salt Lake eventually sort of wear thin? Uh, you know, if, uh, we went to Godier a bunch of other times, and that one thing was still good, but there's sort of a diminishing returns. The surprise is gone. So... If the answer is, what is the most repeatable, most delicious thing I've ever eaten, and therefore the most context-free delicious thing I've ever eaten, it is my own grilled hamburger. It is always, always perfect, always makes me go, oh, 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 oh. it is uh, prepared, obviously, with, since it's my own hamburger, the correct way, which is layer of uh, cheese Whiz on the bottom bun, then the perfectly <laughs> prepared giant fat patty, then a layer of ketchup, then a layer of uh, ripple potato chips, which you then crush onto the ketchup, and then you pour uh, uh, barbecue sauce on the additional layer, so they're nice and juicy. What is literally the opposite of the food hut? <laughs> you, are, you are in the anti-food hut right now. That is the best <laughs> food item in the world, Ken. You are, you are a crazy person. You are, you are, don't listen to him, listeners. Flee. This is the point in the show at which you recognize something has gone horribly wrong. Start calling have your you congressman. Have you had this? Kid? I have not had this. In fairness, you, you have, you have raised an immense barrier to me having it. Now, Ken, you, ne you never will. And now I never will. It's true. I'll somehow have to struggle through life. Lightning, Lightning round. round! At Serpentine Owl asks, when running Gumshoe at a con, how much should players be spoon-fed the investigative abilities that would apply to a scene? Uh, Robin? Uh, as much as you need to, to keep the pacing going. So the important thing at a con is not teaching the rules. It's not teaching how the rules ought to be, but it's about delivering a fun experience. So 
uh, spoof feed them a bunch at the beginning, sort of indicate that the ideal thing is for them to uh, look at their sheet and suggest that they use a particular ability. But even a lot of time in my own games, uh, that's not the best pacing decision. So uh, go for pacing, uh, not a uh, theoretical reason of how things ought to be. Lightning round! Uh, Michael Kurlim asks, what makes a good portfolio material when trying to break into the games industry? Games? I guess you don't have to have anything because you can make your own games now. You don't have to worry about other people. So make a game. That's a portfolio material. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot more attention, even though you're not precisely demonstrating your ability to freelance a little segment of a core game or a scenario, but whatever you've got, right? And the way to present it really is look at Adam Gauntlet's uh, blog. Uh, It's Karloff's Uh, ephemera. ephemera. Yeah. Ephemera. Um, and he uh, writes little bits of gumshoe content uh, every so often. And then he's written stuff uh, for Pelgrane, for gumshoe. But that's a great little showcase for how uh, good he is at presenting cool ideas in an entertaining way. So emulate him and then point people to your uh, uh, blog. And if you're feeling swell, uh, credit him uh, for uh, the uh, formula that you have so cleverly appropriated. Lightning round! Bruce Baugh asks, who actually wrote your books, you latter-day earls of Oxford? Robin? There's an alternate me uh, that I rescued uh, with the help of Ken's time machine uh, from the uh, hellish dimension that turns out to be based on one of my role-playing game designs. And out of gratitude, um, he does a lot of the first draft material. I I still have to pump it up a bit and polish it. Put your gloss on. Yeah, because he was traumatized by uh, the demons and stuff. But, you know, Michael Chaban just didn't really fit. No, he didn't. I am actually still working through a cache of manuscripts uh, that, uh, through methodologies I can't discuss on the air, I came into possession of in a giant steamer trunk uh, from Avram Davidson's house. So uh, at some point I'm going to run out and then I'm in trouble. But up until now, Avram Davidson is writing my works. I'm just uh, sort of making it worse so that no one can tell and uh, none of his estate comes to sue me. So I just sort of knock some of the elegance out of it before I submit it. Lightning round! Rich Fryer asks, what gaming innovation or idea did you think would revolutionize the industry, but has so far failed to ignite? There have been a number of uh, attempts to do, uh, from our previous discussion about the app, uh, of build those kinds of apps. And I kept thinking that the, one of them is eventually going to take over and they, and they never do the dungeon building app. I figured that something like Neverwinter Nights was going to be ubiquitous by now. And the fact that it's not even, I, I mean, maybe you can buy it on Steam for a dollar or something, but it, it's not what everyone's doing. And so I have no idea how anything works. Robin? Uh, this isn't revolutionized the industry, but someone, uh, years back had a card deck equivalent of Napoleonic miniatures. Uh, that it wasn't like a full-fledged Magic the Gathering crossover with Napoleonics, but it just seemed like, oh, wow, this seems like a much more convenient way to play that style of miniature game and be able to play it anywhere than lugging around these giant armies. But it turns out lugging around the giant metal armies is uh, probably perhaps more of the point. Part of the fun. The actual playing. Yep. Lightning round! Neil Fortier asks, You both watch a lot of interesting, obscure films. Where do you find them besides the obvious Netflix, iTunes, etc.? Robin? Well, I mostly find them on the obvious. Yeah, that's that's why they're obvious. The only other edition that I would put on there is uh, TCM. 
and a capacious DVR. Right. And uh, Turner uh, has a, a channel now that you can subscribe to, which I haven't yet, but it's just a m- matter of time. I am so waiting for that to be available in Canada. Allegedly, we're their first uh, international territory. Right. Um, I will, I'm waiting for uh, a vampire paycheck uh, and uh, Sheila to be distracted before I do it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other place that we both find obscure films is obviously film festivals. I go to the Chicago Film Festival. Robin goes to the Toronto Film Film Festival. Keep your eyes open. Pay attention. Also pay attention. If you can't go to a film festival, maybe you have a trusted and beloved podcaster who goes to film festivals and you could listen to them. That's another possibility. Lightning Lightning round! Uh, Rick Dakin asks, you're both developing games right now. What's one thing from playtesting that really surprised you, either for good or ill? In in the playtesting of Fall of Delta Green, uh, I didn't have a lot of surprises because this is not my first gumshoe or my first Cthulhu Mythos, and the playtesters... I think, uh, responded to the increased lethality of the game well. I think the thing that surprised me was not something about the game, but uh, the fact that people reported numerous different playtest groups that were playing Fall of Delta Green. They said, none of us had ever seen Apocalypse Now or Full Metal Jacket, so we sort of didn't know what <laughs> Vietnam was, so we just sort of made it up. I hope that was okay. And it's like, well, God bless you, you sweet summer child. But, you know, you, you feel old when you meet someone who hasn't seen Star Wars, but I think you feel like you're, you know, it, it's a different kind of old when you meet someone who hasn't seen Neither Apocalypse Now. Neither one of those now. has ray guns in right, it. Right, so yeah. It's vanished down, vanished down the memory hole. Yeah. Robin, what surprised you? I have selected the, uh, this question in order to say that playtesting is not surprising. <laughs> that that uh, basically uh, that uh, there are always a bunch of unsurprising things that happen. Robin's like Nero Wolf. The playtest reports just come back and confirm what he'd already deduced. Yes. Uh, one thing is that uh, people have a very hard time uh, playing a uh, manuscript version of a game without all the organizing stuff, without the index and the illustrations and the chapter headings and the layout. Two is that a lot of people will uh, respond to problems that are uh, ba- that turns out they're not actually using the rules. But basically, uh, there are even particular p- uh, beloved, uh, super important playtesters who I will know what they are going to say before. They look at the rules. Playtesting is not surprising. You're just looking for calibrations. Like uh, drama system, the original procedural system was judged too complicated. Uh, Later, game designers look at it and go, couldn't this be more complicated? And I say, (laughs) no, because I playtested this. And uh, the thing that I thought was simple enough was not. But by and large, uh, the answers that I get from playtesting are either, you know, this crunchy bit is really hosey if you combine it with this other crunchy bit, which is the best playtesting feedback you can yeah, possibly right. get is someone, or, someone who broke your game <laughs> right or it's uh an expression of uh their uh their taste or uh they're helping to find uh, typos that the uh, proofreader then does not find right uh super important playtesting is indispensable not surprising Lightning Lightning round. Round. david scott asks what genre would you choose for an rpg based on cats and uh, you are spoiled for choice because there are uh, four RPGs based on cats already. Most of them are in one or another of the sort of weird mysteries and strangeness genre, which is exactly the genre I would pick because cats are weird, mysterious, and strange. Uh, uh, sort of a, a low-level magic, something on the uh, Neil Gaiman to Lord Dunsany uh, uh, spectrum there, uh, fairy tale and, and meaningful and full of cats. That's the genre I would pick. Robin, are your cats going around solving mysteries like in everyone's novel? <laughs> um, a little bit. 
Uh, I happen to know a little bit about the cat demographic, so I would uh, use <laughs> Not cats. Not for cats, based on cats. An RPG for cats should be based on, you know, wounded well, birds. Okay, <laughs> if it's a role-playing game for cats, it would just be a felt mouse with cat in Right, yeah. But this is for people who love cats, and so this would be based on... This would be a YA-inspired dystopian future with sentient cats. All of the humans have gone... Uh, and they've had to radically alter their society and break themselves up into very specific competing social groups uh, defined by the uh, different types of surviving cat food that they still like and want to fight over. This is the weirdest take on the crime and glory of Commander Suzdal I've ever heard. <laughs> well, and on that inevitable note, you know that we were all, this whole thing was just to end on that last line, so let's end it. On that last line. Stuff having once again been talked about, it's time to thank our sponsors. Atlas Games. Pelgrane Press. Ask for Gown. Arc Dream. Dark Tower. And Pro Fantasy Software. Music, as always, is by James Simple. Audio editing by Rob Borges. Get your priority question-asking access by supporting our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Robin. Snag Canon Robin apparel and other erudite merchandise at tpublic.com slash user slash kenrobin. New designs include Okay, Okay, I Carved the Yellow Sign into One Lousy Potato. And Cat Hamlet Half-Elf Robot. On Twitter, he's at Kenneth Height. And he's at Robin D. Laws. See you next time when, once again, we will talk about stuff.